0: Your host, Sean, none other than my very own dad, sits down with inspirational individuals who share key learnings from their own experiences on becoming great. Sean sits down and unpacks their formula for success and in turn highlights how we can all learn from others' experiences, unlocking our own scope to grow and become our best version. I'm confident that you will all enjoy it. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Hey guys, uh, just a quick uh, intro regarding this podcast with Brad. I think you really enjoyed this uh, podcast, and I did. Uh, obviously, uh, coming off the back of his a recent win uh, with New Zealand Open was uh, a good place to start. But uh, really, where he sort of spends most of his time talking about is, I guess, the mental side of golf, and those things are transferable to life. And he sort of has this, I guess, process of success and pretty simple processes, in fact. So I'm confident you guys will enjoy. There's some great takeaways. Cheers.
1: Brad, thanks very much for joining us here today. I'm going to do a brief intro before we sort of get into it, but... Uh, Obviously, near and dear to my heart, Uh, you've just won uh, a major uh, tournament uh, down in New Zealand, the New Zealand Open, and uh, it was near my hometown of uh, Dunedin, so you won that in beautiful Queenstown. Obviously, a fairly uh, competitive field, Uh, a previous uh, uh, US Open winner, Michael Campbell, Kiwi, and amongst a strong field otherwise, so to come out and win a big tournament like that's uh, awesome. You've been playing golf for a long time, I understand, around about 25 years. You're a Gold Coast local. Uh, You're now ranked uh, number seven in Australia and uh, just uh, outside the top 100 globally at 101, which is an amazing achievement in itself given how many people play the sport. Um, In the last seven tournaments, you've been uh, top 10, which is... a Pretty consistent result in a game that's uh, a, a hard game to be consistent in. And I understand this last yeah. year you've uh, you're third in Queensland for PGA uh, and you've also equaled the course record and uh, you're third in the, the Queensland Open. And obviously, as we touched on uh, just earlier, you won the uh, New Zealand Open for a second time, which uh, first time I understand was 2011. So Great result, great momentum, um, but I guess I just sort of want to maybe go back to how you stumbled into the sport or how you come to pick up a, a, a golf club in the first place. Can you sort of maybe cast your mind to way back then to how that'll come about?
2: Yeah, well, I was 13 at the time when I first started and, yeah, just, just um, yeah, really just loved the opportunity to play and uh, I was playing tennis. Before then, and um, golf is an, another opportunity to play another sport, and I uh, was pretty good at tennis as well, and um, I just love the aspect of golf. Actually, I'm naturally left-handed, so I started playing golf left-handed, and then within a few few lessons, I converted to right-handed, which is uh, not an uncommon thing now in golf. There's a lot of left-handers that play right-handed in golf, and so yeah, that was that was my first intro, and then, yeah, just just uh, got so fascinated with the game, just loved it from from the start, and always aspired to be a golf professional, and, but I didn't think at 25 years later I'd be still playing it, to be honest.
1: Yeah, no, you've certainly um, uh, done well since uh, the early stages, uh, picking up that club, I mean, from what I've t- been told and, and something that's super interesting to me personally, but I think for a number of other people and I think uh, certainly anyone who's picked up uh, a golf club would definitely say that at times, if not all the time, it's very much a mental sport. Obviously, once you to get those... Uh, Those skills up to a certain level, but um, uh, I'm well informed that you've spent quite a bit of time working with uh, a great mental skills coach and Dave Elrod, who has uh, also spent quite a bit of time with uh, Francesco uh, Molinari, who uh, I believe has been as high as five in the world in golf, uh, also the Queensland Reds, and uh, I also understand Dave's had quite a bit to do with Johnny Wilkinson, who obviously... uh, Broke uh, a lot of Australian rugby hearts in 2003 and, and obviously phenomenal rugby player and consistent goal kicker uh, on that side of it. Yeah. So I'd love to, to understand, you know, wh- how and when you sort of come into contact with Dave, uh, or I guess what impact he sort of had and, you know, any sort of tools or techniques that have been really telling or uh, influential in uh, in your game as a result. So what can you share in that regard? Yeah,
2: you know, I was... I was- Fortunate to be able to get introduced to Dave about seven years ago with my current um, current technical coach Michael Jones, and uh, he met him at a at a PJ summit, and know yeah, luckily he was able to get Dave out to to come and have a I guess have a have a meeting and and watch me play, and from from there it's been just seven years of just amazing development, really. From, Unfortunately, I only get to see him probably four times a year when he comes back to Australia because he's got so many more other commitments around the world. And as you said, he's works with Francesco Molinari and still working in rugby. And but the, I guess the most amazing factor that he brought over to golf is that he he didn't have any golf dynamics behind him. He was coming from a rugby league, rugby union background as a, as a kicking coach. He, also played played union as well, so from a it was also coming from a player's point of view as well, which I really was able to to relate to. And before I met Dave, I thought I was practicing pretty well. I am being pretty diligent in, in how I practice and trying to get the best out of myself. And it wasn't until I met Dave that I realised it was wasn't even close. Um, most important factor that I think Dave has is, is taught me is to that every every shot that I practice has to count. And that just continues to build your ability to understand the emotions that you're dealing through and set set drills that continually test you and he, he calls it the ugly zone. So where where whenever you're putting yourself in those uncomfortable positions, the the real nitty-gritty parts of your game that you don't really feel comfortable with. Once you're able to develop those into natural feelings, then your the ability to build your confidence and hit, hit certain shots that you weren't able to hit before is uh, just goes to another level. And That's been the biggest difference for me in terms of how I practice and what the practice actually gives me in terms of the tools going forward in terms of getting out to the golf course.
1: Yeah, you know that sounds uh, really, really interesting in so much as uh, maybe I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it, it sounds like he's sort of creating this new habit within you that every shot counts, whether you're on the range or, or just a practice round. Uh, your intent when you address the ball was much like it would be in a tournament where it, you know, it, it may be the difference between winning and losing, just getting in that mindset and, and maybe you know, with that some of those Difficult or testing sort of moments or shots becoming uh, maybe more conditioned to that sort of maybe pressure or challenge or the the stakes are high so to speak. Is, is that a fair sort of um, sort of summary of what uh, you've touched on, or is it was different to that?
2: No, it, it's certainly on that that side of things. That it's I guess for for me the thing that I get the most out of my practice is being accountable mm-hmm. and the drills that he gives me. To work on, uh, you you just have to, the intensity has to be there, the performance has to be there, which just allows you to understand and practice in that environment. So when you get onto the golf course, there's actually nothing different that you have to change. You just keep doing what you're doing because your, your intensity on your practice is actually now matching the tournament play. And that was the biggest thing that I felt when I was growing up. I was always... Consistently getting good results and getting further and further through my career, but I never quite felt as though I was in full control of my game. I'd make a few mistakes here or just let a few emotional things happen. And he's just taken that completely away where I just know that by doing the work and doing the drills that he's given me, that's enough. And if I just keep working on that through the tournaments, that there's nothing else that I need to do to perform. And that's uh, yeah, the, the biggest thing that I've drawn out of working with Dave now is that every, everything has a reason. And so I feel like in a sense that my practice is actually a lot harder than the golf, golf tournament. So when I come to the tournament, I'm a lot more focused on knowing that if I do what I, what I'm capable of doing in a practice fair way then this is going to be on and above what I'm going to experience in the golf course.
1: And um, with that, do you tend not to get uh, as anxious or nervous or obviously there's been different golfers uh, like all sports uh, whether you call it the yips or whatever that when the pressure really comes on they sort of seem to you know capitulate or, or not do the things that matter even the most simple things because of that pressure but you've felt with some of these exercises over time there has been that sort of fluctuation of nerves or anxiety it's been sort of um, more normalized by the, the, the fact that you know you, you You've sort of created that notion of accountability, or um, making every shot count. You've just sort of conditioned yourself to whether it's in practice or you know on the, the final day of play, uh, it's all the same, so to speak.
2: Uh, well, we still have those feelings, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the uh, that's a love of sport, isn't it? To be able to to deal with your emotions. There's yep. been many a time where we let the emotions get the best of us, and it doesn't matter how how good we practice the emotions take over and our our game suffers but yeah uh, definitely experienced that even in the last the last month at the Queensland PJ I was leading the event the whole way and got got out of my process and started to sort of think too far ahead and got out of what I needed to control and made a few mistakes and and unfortunately finished third and then the, the second week again just backed up and The hardest thing for me during that time was I had six weeks off before the Victorian Open and practiced for a few days. So I always felt that I was slightly slightly underdone in terms of my preparation. And I knew I was going to make mistakes, which is the worst thing you can feel, is that you know know you're not prepared enough. So I was going through a lot of situations where I'm making, making basic mistakes. But once I got to the New Zealand Open, I was sort of... Reflecting on all those tournaments that I'd had, even though I'd shot some great scores, I was reflecting on the mistakes that I made. How can I, how can I sort of minimize those mistakes? And managed to have a chat to Dave on the Tuesday night before the New Zealand Open and really put, put the heart on the table with him. I was just so frustrated with the two weeks beforehand and I felt as though I should have won both those tournaments, but it was just the little mistakes that I made. That was still in my control, so he just gave me a couple of key points, which um, made me really focus on the process. And yeah, that that working in New Zealand was above and beyond, probably the best mental uh, performance I've ever had in my career. And to say that at 45 is, is pretty special. But so it was just a just a sense of process and being. So disciplined in my thoughts and actions that it just felt like I was out there by myself. I didn't, didn't feel any nerves actually as the gate, as the week was getting better, I was getting stronger, I was mentally getting better. It was quite a, a surreal experience, that whole process of feeling so distraught and agonizingly close to winning tournament to then try and have to regain that confidence and regain that resilience to be able to flip it over on it and go through the other side of it that um, something that I'm going to definitely take through through the rest of my career at golf now but also into life just how how the process and discipline can just create such resilience and um, it's the process like the this thing it's the success is Success is never guaranteed, uh, but it's a process that you have to try and develop as good as you can to, uh, to really see what's out there, see what's possible
1: yeah I love that I mean for the listeners that may not know uh, obviously the two tournaments you're referring to preceding the the victory in New Zealand uh you looked like you were about to win, but then you lost you you uh, obviously didn't uh, quite get the job done but then obviously you had a bit of a reset by the sounds of it and and you talk of this process going maybe back to the process as opposed to you know getting focused on the outcome. Um, I mean, what, what, can you sort of simply explain what, what is that process for the listeners uh, that, that allowed you to be so in the zone and, and maybe much more in control of things in New Zealand versus what was happening before that?
2: Well, it just purely came back to believing in my ability to hit the shots that were required and to hit those shots without any fear of consequence is is the first part and and the second part was just the the discipline that I had to give myself to allow myself to stay in the process and just continue to really work hard at being in control of what I could control and one of the biggest things that I did especially in the last two rounds of the New Zealand Open was I didn't didn't look at the leaderboard at all and because I knew that that if I allow myself to look at the leaderboard, then I would actually react in an emotional response to the leaderboard whether it was positive or negative and then that would actually affect my my process of as doing what I needed to do to, to play, I guess, effectively each shot as good as I could hit. So I didn't look at the leaderboard until I finished on Sunday, which is something that I've done in the past when I've won and it's something that I just didn't allow that distraction to change what I needed to do. So that was where the real discipline part of it came in. I was turning my back to the leaderboards and really trying to, I guess, just do those little, little things to, and when I was doing them, I was actually feeling more and more like I was in control because I was actually sticking to a plan. I wasn't being distracted in any way.
1: Now, I love that uh, self-awareness and obviously the, the discipline to, to figure out that that's obviously it's a thing that works well for you. It doesn't allow you to sort of get emotionally distracted, good or bad, um, which is great. But maybe just sort of fast-forwarding to the moment when obviously it become clear that you had won. I mean, for uh, uh, almost anyone or idea, say, that listens to this podcast, uh, describe h- how does it feel? It talks about the emotions when you actually win, uh, a, a million dollar plus tournament, you actually get that check for those seven figures, which most people dream of, but it's obviously not one day's worth of work. Obviously, it, it's uh, 45 years in getting there, no doubt, but you know, ha, 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 talk us through the emotions of winning in excess of a million dollars in a single tournament.
2: Uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> it's a, it's a, I guess because I was going through so many emotions the two previous weeks, it was probably yeah, you know, I sort of tried to put a, a I've been asked that a few times, but I think it's it was more pride than anything, mm. to be honest. The fact that I was able to come out of effectively probably the the Queensland PGA was probably the one one of the lowest points I've felt mentally in my career. Uh, I didn't even want to play the week after the Queensland Open but my wife told me just to get up there, do it again, and got through the PGA, had another good performance, but I think it was just more the, the pride and the self-satisfaction of I was able to go through those, the absolute lows of the emotion to the absolute high, and yeah, just to be able to, to have that winning feel and again was yeah,
1: it was, it was, it was. satisfaction more than anything uh, a- Absolutely I uh, get that uh, and I guess you know just sort of building uh, on that just a, a little bit um, obviously you talk about tournaments before and, and no doubt uh, like us all uh, golf's sometimes a good metaphor for life but you know can you talk to us about that 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 voice of doubt? Does it still enter the mind? How do you keep that voice quiet? How do you sort of deal with it? Because I, I dare say, on the course, walking between shots, there's a lot of time to to think and, and hear your own voice. Um, can you sort of share any insights in terms of dealing with that that voice of doubt?
2: Yeah, doubt doubt's hard, and it's also, it also comes from fear too. Yeah. I think fear fear has played a massive part in. And it, even though it's an emotion, it's actually quite a, quite a strong emotion and it affects, affects you in a lot of ways. It just, just stops you from doing what you, what you're capable of. And I think just getting back to purely being focused on what I could control, that was, that was a big thing. And I knew I was playing well. I knew if I, if I was able to eliminate the mistakes that I was making previous weeks, which that's all golf is. And that's why we have that's why amateurs have handicaps because your handicap is that's how many mistakes you're allowed to make per day and so for me just trying to understand those mistakes and just believe that I was getting better I was understanding myself better it purely comes down to to that control and just being able to hit the shots that were required uh, regardless of the consequence and just to keep doing it time and time again and sometimes fear can get ahead of you're able to get ahead of yourself too much. Where you think, oh, maybe I might win, or oh, do I want to win, or do I want to <laughs> do I want the accolades, do I want to talk to the press? So all these things start coming into you into your mind, and instantly you're distracted. And then the ability to get back from that distraction is is a is a real art in itself to be able to get back on track and get back into the process again. So. I was less distracted during the week. I knew what I had to do and I'd had success there before at those particular golf courses. And I was just uh, going back to a lot of good memories that I'd had in the past, even though I didn't win that event. I'd sort of uh, lost in a playoff, but those past experiences definitely do help you gain that confidence to say, yeah, you know what, I can, I can do this if I just keep doing what I'm doing and don't allow anything to affect me this is possible whether it happens or not, that's irrelevant you know that you've given every chance to get the best out of yourself
1: you know that's uh, good, what I sort of picked up from that is you know I guess that fear the fear is almost the fear of the future in terms of you know you're projecting yourself forward rather than sort of like you say stick to the process which maybe keeps you in the now you're not sort of projecting forward to different outcomes and what that does emotionally and all the rest of it, the process allows you to come back to the moment and the now and and control that. uh, And I guess on that process... The one thing I recall over and above anything else when I read the book, uh, The Seven, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, to to hard, heavy read, uh, is the the quote by Aristotle saying, uh, excellence isn't an act, excellence is a habit. And I guess that sort of comes yeah. back to that notion of the process. So uh, easy to get caught up on what happens if, you know, good or bad, and, and obviously that invokes a an emotion, but that hasn't happened at that moment in time. But all you can control is yeah, obviously yeah. the way you address the ball and how you do that in that moment in time. The rest is inconsequential. Yeah,
2: yeah and you've got to have some some care to make that distinction as well. I think a lot of golfers out there, even sports people, uh, even on a golf course, someone might be having their best best score in their life and come to the 16th 16th hole, start to think about oh. What it's going to feel like when I can tell everyone the score I've shot when I finish, and uh, before you know it, you've, you've uh, made mistakes and you shoot over your handicap, and you think, "What what happened there?" <laughs> so <laughs> we, we all good. We all do it. We all go through it. No one's immune to it. That's the that's the great thing is we all we're all going to experience it at some stage. But how how can you learn from it, and what what can you do the next time when you do come into that same situation? Can you then identify it? and have the relevant steps in place to accept that emotion but then understand how to get rid of it and then to continue on.
1: Absolutely. I mean, um, I guess what I'm sort of picking up uh, from some of the conversation we've had uh, and obviously it's true in golf as it is in life, consistency is just so important. Um, And with golf, maybe as you sort of talked about in that last... Comment, you know, one bad hole can undo uh, a week of great golf or all the preparation that comes with that. Um, Going back to that notion of process or habits, is there any sort of habits, uh, rituals or practices you do to to be at your best? Anything that you could sort of uh, allude to there?
2: Uh, The the biggest thing that I've been doing since I've been working with Dave is, is journaling a lot in terms of my practice so the, the night before or the, the day of my practice, I will write down the whole schedule for that particular day regarding what drills I want to do, and so there might be six or seven drills within that that two-hour block of, of training that I've set aside and want to do those seven drills. Then I leave. I don't have. To, I don't need to actually carry on doing any more, even if I'm training. In the gym or out on the road cycling, which I love, writing down the performances so that you've got things to work from every time you do your PB or you set a benchmark on a particular drill. Then over time you can reflect on that and that's what breeds, breeds your success is your having, having it written down becomes a fact that it can't be taken away. Whereas if you just go and do a training session and a month's time you forget or the next day you forget let alone a month so really journaling all your your performances all your practice is is a massive way to just build up that self resilience and self confidence to go wow I've actually done all this work and I can show it because I've written it down and also over the last probably 12 months I've started doing a, a few other things through meditation and and reading, there's a, I'm not sure if you've heard of a guy called Hal Elrod who, an American guy who had some tragic things happen to him experience-wise and he's created this thing called Savers which is um, seven steps to success and he, he does it every day, five minutes a day for each one and talks about meditation, uh, reinforcing, um, great work ethic. Uh, exercise, reading uh, all those different things so I've started doing that which just puts you in the right space every day to go about your day and yeah, you know, just, just little things like that are starting to creep in with finding that myself I'm actually getting better as a golfer doing more mental work than I am actually building a, a, a real base on the golf course forty five, my my game's not going to change, but how can I continually get better? And that now is is definitely in the mental space.
1: Yeah, no, I love uh, I, I love what you allude to there, and obviously some patterns here with some of the other sort of guests we've had on the the show, um, and some of those recurring themes around journaling, meditation, and you know, I guess the the seven steps is you know to success. You could argue that's just the process, and obviously you're working out the. What works for you and, and, and I guess back to the journaling it just sort of creates that level of consciousness and once you're documenting that you're, you're certainly conscious of what you're doing and what you're seeking to do and maybe that incremental performance if you're anything like me once you document something and you've got a metric against it obviously the next time you do something you want to get better even if it's seconds better or extra weights or extra reps you want to do better so I think that sort of just crystallizes that And and I, and I love how you sort of Say that you know it gives you a sense of confidence. Sometimes you flick back through what you've done in preparation for an event or whatever the case, and you go, you know what, I've done a lot, and obviously you, you turn up to you know the, that first tee, no doubt, going well, whatever will be, but I'm confident in the notion that I've done the the preparation required to be successful, and I think that uh, creates a bit of clarity in mind and, and a bit of comfort within all of that as well. So uh, I'm I definitely yeah, keen to read further on the Seven Sips to Success. Uh, so I might get some details there and put it in the show notes. So that's uh, a great share there. But um, talk to... Yeah,
2: talk- no, it's a, And visualisation for me is, is a big thing, especially the night before, just visualising how I want to play and what I want to feel like. Uh, Dave talks about a lot with playing big, being big-bodied and um, walking in a command posture, all those sorts of things, just to be really self-aware and if your shoulders are dropping that that's going to be a negative impact so that's not going to make you focus enough on your game so sort of be bold be big and, and create that real I guess in a sense not so much an aura but just a, a positive identity as you're going through it
1: now I think that's a, another fantastic insight in terms of that body language I think when we're confident you know shoulders back chest out heads up we're walking positively obviously when we're not as you maybe alluded to we tend to become a bit uh, you know uh, shoulders become a bit slouched you know we're a bit downward facing and all the rest of it But the irony is I think that the the subconscious brain doesn't know the difference. So, you know, even if you uh, are starting to feel the pressure a little bit just by changing your physiology, I think that often correlates to the mental state shift. Um, And I also love that notion of uh, visualization around, uh, again, the subconscious doesn't know the difference. If you're you're visualizing moments in advance, you know, uh, when you do arrive there, it's almost like – you've been there before and it 's less sort of stressful so obviously i'm yeah, uh, if, you, if you've seen my golf game you 'd see how notorious my slices i 'm certainly not comparing myself to <laughs> you as a great athlete but but back to that notion of visualization in a different context uh, I did the Lubar triathlon on Sunday and somehow some way I managed to lose two of my crampies, uh gels. So just before I went into the swim, knowing that it was possible I might cramp up and more than likely in the run, I just sort of thought I'd fast forward to the run or I visualized uh, the cramp coming on and how I would deal with it. Um, my, my goal, my yep. visualization was it'll come on, don't panic, run through it and it will be okay. Yep. And ironically enough, about uh, two k's into it, boom, um, in the hemi, the, the cramp started to come on. And normally, I think I would have panicked, but uh, I just—it was almost like I'd been there. I prepared for it, and uh, I just—I just went back to my stride and run through it. And slowly but surely, it eased up to the point where you know it wasn't debilitating. So, I think um, that that visualization is awesome, eh? Yeah,
2: it's so powerful once you once you try it, and it works. It really does open you up to okay, what else can I do? What else can I visualize? Um, And especially on the golf course, you get so much time in between shots or even a golf tournament runs over four days, two days of practice and four days, you've got six days to worry about stuff. And the more you can visualize what it's going to feel like to hold a trophy or what it's going to feel like to shoot a great score, but then dissect it even further than that and sort of see what it's going to feel like on the first tee when the crowd's around. Visualize the shot you're going to hit, the shape you're going to hit it, and before you know it, you day one's there, and you you hit this shot exactly as as you expected. So it's not then it becomes normal rather than an experience of oh wow that was that was amazing. You actually you already experienced it through your visualization. So what you did then is just naturally just stayed just ran off that process. That is um, yeah. Something that I wish I had have got into a lot earlier in my career is in terms of how big an effect our intensity and our mental preparation has on, on golf. And I think that's, that's an art in itself. And that, that can often be the difference between really performing at a high level and just not quite getting to experience how good you can be.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I uh, a similar age, just 1040. Um, I, I just think uh, I don't I don't regret the past at all. I think it sort of shaped who we are today. But I, I think often think, geez, wow. Well, imagine if we had exposure to some of these tools, techniques, and brain hacks when we were younger. I mean, wow, what would be possible? Yep. So I'm just so excited now. It's becoming more prolific and common that people are starting to employ mental skills, uh, education, uh, whether it's in the school environment or with athletes or in, in, in professional context because you know using um, yeah, yeah. visualization as an example you know I use visualization if I've got a, a big meeting or, or a big presentation you know I'll, I'll visualize it going well I'll visualize how I want it to, to go to flow um, you know how I feel at the end of it all uh, I mean a lot of these things are true in golf as they are in life so I think that's the, the beauty of it all and, and I guess just picking up or going beyond that a touch and, and maybe a slightly more philosophical or deeper question around mastery. I mean what what's your what's your view on do you ever nail mastery? You know, and, and when I say mastery when it comes to golf, I oh, I guess it's that that beautiful intersection um, between skill and mindset. I mean or maybe it's a, it's a constant striving for or, or destination. What, what's your your take on that? Oh,
2: I think golf is probably is just only, so many factors, so many dimensions that no one's going to ever master golf. I guess mastering mastering an art is in, this, in golf, I guess, is winning a tournament, having being able to beat everyone in that field that particular week. In a sense, you've mastered, you've mastered the best out of yourself and you've beat everybody at that particular time. But then the next week, it could be totally different. So I think... We never we we might have little glimpses of it, but in terms of golf, it's it's just changes all the all the time. It's one minute you think you've got it under control, and the next minute you you feel like you <laughs> you, uh, you can't hit a ball properly. So yeah, it, it is a such a hard game, which I think why why so many people love it because it just gives you all those emotions that that you're going to experience. You, some days you just feel like you get on a string and then the next day you don't know where it's going.
1: Um, yeah, that's, that's the fun of it, I think. Yeah, and I think uh, human beings like a challenge. Um, so I think it's uh, it's obviously a constant challenge, uh, an opportunity to get better, but you never arrive fully at that destination. And again, I think that's, that's true of anything, right? Just about, you know, it's not like you put in all this hard work for a period of time and then click, it all comes together and you've nailed it. And every time you replicate that activity, you know your 10 out of 10 I mean that's just not life is it you know I don't think you can ever take anything for granted or rest on your laurels like you say I guess all you can do is go back to a bit of a process and and keep focusing on that constant uh, incremental improvement Um, and I think that sort of keeps us all sort of springing out of bed some days it's a little bit frustrating when it doesn't all come together but I think that sort of keeps us motivated and that challenge to to try and get to that utopian state I think that's what drives a lot of people yes
2: definitely
1: so, I read recently uh, on, I believe, the PGO website that uh, an article and it was, uh, I believe it was titled uh, Kennedy's Conundrum. So, I'm, I'm told uh, Olympic gold or dance dad. So, uh, obviously, with the potential <laughs> to represent Australia, notwithstanding current events at the 2020 Olympics. Uh, can you talk us through that one? Yeah, it was uh, yeah, Tony
2: Webeck wrote that. He's a good <laughs>
1: friend
2: of mine and he's actually a dance dad himself. So, <laughs> he... He put the put the two together that I I sort of mentioned to him a while back that 2020 I was looking at retiring at the end of 2020 and just to yeah just to really I think try and experience life a bit more. I've been travelling on tour now for 25 years and I've spent over eight years away from home in that time, which is quite quite an incredible stat to, to think how long I've been away and yeah my, my two daughters are growing up and, and yeah just love to try and be home more for them and try and see them achieve what what they want to achieve and they're, they're heavily into their dancing and so yeah to sit back in the I was at their nationals last year just sat back in the crowd and yeah no better feeling than seeing my daughters up on stage doing something that they loved and uh, yeah, it was a pretty proud moment so Those sort of things I I don't want to miss while they're at that stage. But, yeah, with everything that's happened now, winning again in New Zealand, I've got a two-year exemption in Asia. I've still got my exemption in Japan. Um, And now the Olympics has come up. It's, yeah, uh, I might have to reevaluate a couple of those decisions. I'll definitely cut back on my plane. But to think that I could be playing for the Olympics, First try, it'd be, a, it'd be a pretty surreal feeling, but uh, you never know. That could be a Steve Bradbury of golf.
1: Oh, I dare say not I dare say not I mean it sounds like based on the momentum and consistency we alluded to before far from the Stephen Bradbury of golf that's for sure but uh, I do it more. I guess uh, you know you focus on the family and no doubt obviously international golf is, is one of those uh, challenging sports where it's not in your backyard it's not like you're home every other week like you might be if you played AFL or rugby league or rugby union you're literally away on the road for an awful lot of time um, so obviously support family so I admire you for that and I think in the end um, everyone's got their own view but I think the biggest legacy we ble- leave behind is our children and, and no doubt you've got a desire to sort of support them through their good times, their bad times and sort of be at their side to sort of impart any of the lessons you've learnt uh, with them over time so I think uh you're a champion for for having that focus on the kids, but uh, all, all the same, man, that conundrum when you build this momentum and there's these opportunities to represent your know, your country and all those things that that would be nice and a lot of people to aspire to. But you've got some good choices there, and it sounds like you've got a supportive base to to work through. Um, so good luck with with that. And and, and I guess you know on that work life balance and you know maybe harmony is a better word than balance because it, it's hard to get it right. I don't think you get it right. Uh, for, for too long it's a constant striving to get that harmony right but um, talk to us about your take on the importance of having a supportive family and a friend network uh, around you and, and maybe if that's something you've uh, worked on how that maybe transcends into your course performance
2: Yeah it's right up there with with one of the most important, important things and my wife has been amazing all through my career she's been behind me, 100, percent and she allows me to to go and do what I want to do, which is something that that is pretty uh, pretty unbelievable. I can go away for sort three or four weeks at a time, and she allows me to go away and to try and achieve my dreams, and that uh, to have that behind me and the support, and also the support of friends and coaches and performance coaches, just just people that that you trust and. You can talk to when things aren't quite going well. They, and I think the the biggest thing for me is it's not built on a performance either. For for me, winning or losing, the people around me they don't change, and I guess definitely, definitely celebrate the success, but they don't treat me any differently uh, either way. And I think that's um, a key to having great support around you is they don't there's no difference regarding the success they're just there to support you and and try and allow you to to do your best you can and um, I think that's for me now one of of the reasons why I I sort of want to step back and say okay well I've had my time Uh, and it's now get back and and see how how good my, my daughters can be and whatever they do and be there to actually experience that and that was one of the things I learned coming up as I'd sort of speaking to a lot of successful people at my golf clubs and other people. And that was one of the biggest things, they have they always said was that they never... They wish they should have spent more time with their kids and um, yeah, they can never get that back. So that was one of their biggest regrets. But I've always made it a conscious effort in myself to make sure I'm not one of those people. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, I've had my time, so now I'm trying to also develop other ways to, to stay involved in the game, but also to yeah, see the see them, be there for my kids.
1: No, I think uh, you're a good man for having that view and being selfless in that regard and I think the cliche is true. I think when you get to the the end of life you you, you never hear of people sort of saying I oh, wish I spent less time with friends and family. You know, it's always the other, isn't it? You know, so yeah. you're obviously quite self-aware in terms of the importance and the upside of doing that So, and it sounds like you've got a great network behind you through the good and the bad which is also good to enjoy the celebrations but probably more importantly when things aren't going so well, you've got some good real people around you that you can sort of confide in or talk to to sort of work through all that so I think that's uh that's awesome uh, from what I'm told is as well I also understand you're pretty passionate about giving back to golf and uh, you do that through um, project one uh, part product uh, and junior coaching and I guess you're uh, you know obviously uh, very supportive and active in those years I think the the day after or, or two days after winning the uh, the tournament you were maybe partaking in some of this stuff up in Auckland but uh, can you sort of share a little bit more about what's entailed in, in both of those sorts of things?
2: Uh, yeah, well, Project One Putt's to my own company that I've developed and it's a, it's a self-training putting aid and yeah, it came about a couple of years ago when I told a friend of mine that I was about to retire he said well You're one of the best putters in the world. You need to sort of tell people how to, what they can do. What, what do you do? And try and help people with their putting. And I sort of thought about it and came up with a couple of prototypes and two years later came up with a, with a system and a, and a product that I'm now selling, selling online. And, um, it's all about understanding the, the idea about entry point and all the all the little I guess intricacies about putting and putting is just such an art in itself and just for people to actually help them understand how to read greens and how to evaluate speed control and entry point and making the hole as big as it can be and those sort of things. So I came up with a with a product called Project One Putt and it's just helps people understand the art of putting and the, how important putting is to to your game. It's forty percent of your game, yet it's probably the least amount worked on. Everyone loves getting out of the driving range and hitting drivers, but relatively speaking, if you want to improve your score, then it starts from the putting green and works backwards. So that's something that I developed, and it's actually started to. Get my passion back for the game again because now I'm actually showing people a product that I've created, which I'm passionate about, and it's actually giving me that, I guess, a new, new appreciation for the game. And um, at the same time, over the last 20 years, I've been very selfish and very directing my own performance and achievement. Whereas now I'm actually out there sharing my knowledge and experience with, with other people, and yeah, that's uh, quite an empowering feeling, to be honest. It's uh, definitely getting a lot of satisfaction out of people, watching people That's doing right. it and achieving better results. And yeah, got an email the other day, a guy dropped six shots on his handicap, but just by using the, using the project one part. So it's, yeah, those sort of things are, are quite, you don't uh, realise how powerful they are until you sort of start to give back to to things and A couple of weeks before the New Zealand Open, I'd set up some workshops with PJ pros in New Zealand and some juniors and did some clinics, which was great. And then I'd also, unknowingly, what would happen, I actually had some putting demonstrations again in Auckland. So just, I guess the success that I had coincided with those events and yeah, couldn't have gone any better to be honest, but definitely wasn't, (laughs) definitely wasn't expected. But again, just, just being out there. Uh, the first part of it was just showing the local tree professionals in the area, coaching professionals, showing them the tool, how they could use it with their clients, and yeah, they they responded to it really well. And then I had had a group of twenty high performance kids come in and test it as well, and yeah, they were they were all excited about it and um, wanting to test themselves and see how far they can get. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great thing that I found now. is yeah, just something that I've created. People are using and, and getting better at their game, uh, which is yeah, very satisfying as well.
1: Yeah, well, it sounds like you're getting a lot of fulfillment and satisfaction out of that, and obviously, it's working. You're getting that feedback, which is fantastic, and and you're right. I think a lot of people, uh, I would profess to be a great golfer, of course, but a lot of people probably get more excited about hitting the big shots, the long shots, uh, all that sort of stuff, but uh, maybe don't invest the same time into the putting. But obviously, as you yeah, you talked about it. Uh, it's a huge part of, of getting the game right and getting those scores down. So good on you for developing that um, that uh, product. Uh, we'll certainly share that as well um, uh, post the podcast. But we're just, just sort of drawing to a bit of a close, Brad. Um, like we sort of uh, maybe touched on before, I think uh, often sports a great sort of metaphor for life and, and the lessons and the practices and things in sport can certainly be taken to, to life, no doubt. But, I mean, what's your... Take on, you know, maybe some of those real standout or key lessons that golf has uh, taught you about life. Oh, teaches a (laughs) (laughs)
2: patience.
1: I I bet, I bet, I bet it's tested Um, many times. Yeah, but I guess, I
2: guess for me, it's it it really if you if you have a passion for something and you, it doesn't matter what it is at the at the moment for me, it's golf. But once I. Finish. It might be something else, but just just try and if you do, just get dedicated to something and just try and find out how can I do this as best as possible to the best of my ability, whatever that ability is. It doesn't it doesn't matter, but uh, if anything that you are passionate about, and um, I guess just developing really good habits, discipline. Um, Golf's, golfs a great equalizer as well and in, in golf that you can never get too far ahead of the game because it, it uh, lets you know you're not that good real quick so just just really sticking to to structures and um, it is just continually not don't stop learning in anything I'm still I'm still learning now at 45 so um, it just continue to learn and, and continue to to really push the limits and see how good you, good you can be and even my, my daughter the other day she was stressed about a math test and uh, coming straight out of, out of lunch and just said no just sit there just before you go to the test and just have a just quietly breathe for 30 seconds and when you're ready start the test and she came back and said oh dad I did a great math test so that even just those little things that are uh, pretty special so um, yeah there's, there's a lot you can take out of life but in Back and forward in terms of sport and life, they they coincide, and um, I I guess it's the the passion and the drive that that'll
1: get you there. No, I love that. I think um, Steve Jobs obviously the co-founder of Apple you sort of talked about finding something you're passionate about because when I mean, you find something you're passionate about you, you'll endure through the tough times you've got a desire to perfect it or be the best you can and that allows you to do really great work uh, so I, I think that's, uh, that's obviously true in what you've uh, done thus far and, and a few different applications and also a lot that, um, that focus on, on that, I guess that drive to become the best version of yourself whatever that looks like and whatever application that might be and and with that, you know, figuring out those habits or processes uh, but also becoming that life learner. You never quite arrive at that destination. You're constantly sort of finding you've got your brain tuned to the different things you can sort of pick up incrementally along the way and, and maybe most powerfully. Uh, you know maybe the the passing on of some of that knowledge, the example of the the breathing technique to your daughter pre the the big uh, exam and obviously the maybe the impact that had in state management perhaps for her to go out there and, and perform so to speak, in a different applications yeah. uh super cool as well so obviously those skills from golf are certainly not redundant once you walk off the golf course so great to see you, uh, no, you. Sharing, sharing some of those and uh, a lot of people play the game there's not many people that uh, have achieved what you've done and uh, to win uh, you know the New Zealand Open is a fantastic achievement and it sounds like the momentum you've got is unreal, but some of the mental skills and mental side of uh, golf uh, that are also true in life have obviously served you well. So I think the listeners will definitely take a, a lot of those uh, core fundamentals away. But uh, inspirational story, um, and obviously maybe the the thing you're most focused on and, and the number one focus for you is just being a good human being or a great human being to your family and obviously your family and whatnot around you. And I think that's just so critical. So. Sounds like you're doing some great work, Brad, but I'm grateful that you've taken the time to join us here today and share some of those uh, insights. Uh, I know I've taken a lot from it, and I'm sure everyone else will as well.
2: Yeah, cheers.
0: Thanks, much Sean, appreciate it. Anytime. I think the beauty of uh, that podcast was the simplicity, uh, and I really don't think you need to be a golf fan to. To take some of those key learnings and some of the principles that he utilises to enjoy success and his chosen art, which is golf, but I think very much uh, applicable to all aspects of life. So, hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, I hope there's one or two takeaways, and if you did, uh, again, feel free to share to anyone else that might have uh, an interest or take some value. Also, cheers, guys.